Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Yeah, those who are going to little worship can be dismissed at this time. If you're staying with us, I invite you to open your Bibles. Malachi chapter 313 through the remainder of the book of Malachi. And let's, uh, let's pray uh, together before we dive in, shall we? Father, throughout your word, we, we see that anyone who comes into like direct contact with you is undone. Um, and Lord, forgive me, forgive us for for sometimes approaching your word and your worship so cavalier, so just, eh. Lord, we ask that your spirit would come and meet us where we are. Lord, speak to us through your word. Teach us uh, what it is you have for us to see this morning and how this ancient text uh, not only like, applies to our life, but, but is, is life. Uh, it gives us life. Lord, show us the Jesus way. And may it be so beautiful uh, that it's irresistible uh, that we, we just must have Jesus. So capture our hearts through your spirit, and we ask this in Christ. Amen. This morning, as we said, we're, we're, we're finishing up Malachi. And uh, if you remember when we began Malachi, we said, we, we noted how Malachi begins his prophecy by saying, first words, the oracle of the word of the Lord, which we said, remember, it means, it means two things. But, but first, uh, it means that the word oracle, it means that this isn't just some ancient document. Um, no, like this, this is God breaking in, like God speaking to his people. Uh, and so in a world in which, you know, fads come and go, I was trying to remember, was it, how many years ago was it when on Facebook and it was like, it was the dress, right? And you were like, what color is the dress? Y'all remember this? And uh, different people saw different colors. Um, like that seemed to me, that seemed like like three centuries ago since that happened. You know, you know, fads come and go. Uh, you know, in you know, in which it's, we live in a day in which news from like two weeks ago is like what, what? It seems so old. You know, so out of date. And yet we come to this, and we're met with something completely different. You know, th this wasn't written two weeks ago. This was written like twenty four hundred years ago. And yet it might as well have been written this morning. I mean, it, it, it nails us. We're exactly where we are. Well, that's because uh, that's how God's inspired word works. It, you remember, as G. Campbell Morgan said, he said inspired writings are different from just all other writings um, in that they aren't produced for one age or one time period or even one type of people, but they have a, a perpetual application. That's one of the, the hundreds of things that makes God's word so, so unique. And then two, we, we said that the word oracle means, means it's a burden. It means it, it's heavy. You know, this is something that Malachi just has to get off his chest. This is, this is heavy upon God's heart that we see this, that we, we understand what he's communicating to us. And as we said, that this was a, a letter, of a prophecy that was written to people who had drifted. Uh, people who, if they came to worship, they were just going through the motions um, who they were bitter, they were disillusioned, they were starting to think, you know, may, maybe this whole God thing is just a colossal waste of time. 
And so in the midst of this increasingly godless uh, secular culture in which Malachi was writing this, God has a word. And so this morning, we get to the last thing God has to say uh, for his people. Uh, he says, look, if we're going to make it in life, and especially in the t- in, here in t- year 2021, if we're going to make it, uh, we need to hear this. So this is God's word, Malachi 3.13. We'll read through the end. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? Well, you have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. And in the day when I make up my treasure possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stumble, stubble. The day that is coming shall, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is God's word. So when I was growing up, or when you, I guess when we all grow up, we do stupid things. Um, I think I've shared this with y'all, but for some reason growing up, uh, my brothers and I thought it would be a good idea to try to sink my granddad's boat, right? And we accomplished, mission accomplished, sunk it in the middle of the lake, couldn't find it again. Um, But that wasn't until after we thought it was a really good idea to bash the windows out in his 56 Ford uh, that he was like had in the shop that he was hoping one day that he was going to restore or maybe like pass down to us so that we could one day restore. Um, That's not happening anymore after what we did to it. Um, You know, after every time I, I would do something like that growing up, my parents would always say, uh, they, they would say a lot of things to me, you know, in those moments. But what I can repeat here would be, um, they would say something to the effect of, um, Richard, it's time for a little reality check. We're going to have a little reality check, right? When the same way, in Malachi, God has been calling us aside, and he's been saying, look, it's time for a reality. It's reality check time, y'all. And this morning, God gives us the ultimate reality check that at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, it's really this simple. Look, I know we look out and we think there's the haves and the have-nots. There's all these things going on. But he says, it's this simple. He says, there are only two types of people in the world. There are the righteous and the wicked. There are those who fear the Lord, who are in awe of the Lord and live their lives before the face of the Lord, and those who don't. Two different people, 
two different futures. Those are our two points. Uh, well, verse 13 picks up on this distinction with the last problem God addresses in Malachi. And this, it, it, this may be the worst thing that can happen to you when you're lost in the middle. It's cynicism. And maybe religious cynicism is the worst type of cynicism. You know, as we get older, uh, this happens. As you get older, you start thinking, look, I've seen everything. I can't learn anything. And so the curiosity fades, the wonder fades. And when that happens, cynicism kind of starts setting in. It's like, look, we've tried this ten times. It always turns out the same way. Why even bother? But as you get older and experience pain, it's a real temptation to become cynical about God, cynical about his promises. And really, this is why Jesus was so adamant. Remember the whole parable of the sower? That Jesus was adamant that we know that there really are things that choke out God's word. That, it's, that there are things that rob the joy of our salvation. And it's possible to be so blinded by our sin, so blinded by our circumstances, that we, that we can forget that God is on the move. That God is actually doing things, that, that we get so caught up in the here and the now and keeping up with the Joneses that, that we forget that like Jesus really does save. And their spirit really does transform. And that God really does bring new life out of dead hearts. Like, it, you know, it's possible to lose the wonder, the wonder of the gospel. And, and when that happens, it's easy to hear God's word and think, yeah, right. What a bunch of baloney. You know, and we are thinking, like, God, what, like, what good is all your promises? Like, what good is all this when I'm suffering? Like, what good is all of your promises when my classmates make fun of me? What good is all your promises when I can't, like, well, I can't have a child? And, and these thoughts come in, and we, and we get angry, and we become cynical. And, look, if you find yourself asking that, which I, I think you probably will, all of us will at some point, you know, first, we've got to check our own heart, uh, but, but, but two, like this is just a call back to the historic gospel. You know, most of the people who are leaving the faith, they aren't leaving the historic gospel. They're leaving their own version of what they think that is. Um, so go back to the historic gospel because what you're believing isn't it. And, and, and that's what they were asking here is, like, is it vain? Has it been all for nothing? Has it been pointless to serve God? But it's their next question that we see what's really going on, right? They don't love God nor fear God because, like, he's the creator of the universe. Uh, no, they, they like God because he, God's kind of like their personal little, you know, genie in the lamp. That if they do the right things, maybe they can get their wishes. They don't like God for God. They, they like God for his gifts. Verse 14, they ask, like, what is the profit of our keeping God's charge? Like, what's the point of walking around and mourning? Like, what's the point in us trying to kill sin and us, like, trying to deny ourselves? What, what is the point of all that? When, when we look out here and all of a sudden we're going to call the arrogant blessed, the prideful blessed, because we look out and the evildoers, not only are they prospering, but they're out here, it looks like they're putting God to the test and they're getting away with it. Maybe we should just do that too. You know, like we've already talked, so apparently this ate them up because we've already talked about this whole, like, why do bad, good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? Uh, and we also found that God's definition of success or, quote, better off is not always our definition of better off, that God sovereignly knows better. He knows what we need. And so right here, that word profit, I mean, look, we all know what profit means, right? Like, if you have a business or, like, you, you know what profit means, but this profit word 
uh, comes from a Hebrew word that was uh, used to describe back in ancient Hebrew day um, the act of, say, you're a, a, a weaver and you have your loom and you're weaving this cloth or you know, whatever it is that you're, you're weaving. Uh, when you get done weaving all the threads together to make one whole cloth, uh, you would cut the cloth from the loom, right? Well, that, that process of cutting the cloth from the loom, that was the Hebrew word for prophet. That is prophet. Um, and, and so this is what they're, they're saying. They're, they're looking at God and they're saying, God, where's my cut? Like, where's my share? You know, I've paid in, I've invested in this. Where's my dividends? Where is it? And so instead of a familial relationship where, like, God, you know, God is their God and, and we're, they're just God's son or daughter, they kind of really wanted a commercial relationship. You know, never mind this whole, like, God creating in me a clean heart. Like, they just want earthly blessings. I, I want you to bless me right now. And they say, look, I've, I've tried being a good person. I've tried obeying your commands, and where has it gotten me? Where has God all these other people who don't seem to care at all about you? I mean, they're, they're, getting, they're getting way ahead. They're way better off. Maybe this has just been a, just a big waste of time. And, and we see that it's very possible to be all, all up in the church. Heck, I mean, these are priests. Like, these are church leaders that God is talking to. It's super possible to be all up in the church and yet for it just to really to be all about you, of how you look and how you are perceived, that by serving God or going on the mission trip or by praying that, that God will, will bless your business, that you scratch his itch and he scratches yours. And it's this transactional relationship. And, but though like that's, that may be how our world works sometimes, that could be further from the gospel you know, like, if we think that God owes us anything, one, we don't know ourselves, um, but we also don't know our need, our need of God. That God doesn't give cuts, right? Like, God gives grace. Well, he doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us better and better, right? He doesn't give cuts, he gives grace. And this whole book has been God reminding those lost in the middle who have lost that loving feeling, that God loves you because he loves you. Not because of what you've done. Like, he loves you because he loves you. Um, he, he, this has been a book about calling the cynical to wonder, which, by the way, that, like, that's, the, that's how you fight cynicism, is curiosity and, and, and wonder. It, it's been God calling us back to himself, not so that he can condemn us. He's already told us, that, no, we're, we're already, the world is already condemned. Like, he's calling us back so that he can restore us, so that he can renew us. But then now, for the first time in this entire book, God mentions there, that there's another group of people all this time. And you get the sense that this group of people is probably not that big, um, but who during all this time they continued to worship him. I, I love this. Uh, verse 16, you know, in an increasingly secular time where many were leaving the faith, many were leaving the temple, there was still a, a small group of dissidents who didn't bow the knee to culture. And who, but, but, but who feared the Lord, and instead of looking out at the world and wishing that they had what the world has, like the cynical people, like they simply met together and they spoke with one another. Isn't that great? This whole, this whole book has been these cynical people talking back to God like, how have we robbed you, and how, how have you loved us? And yet here we have the faithful people, they just got together quietly and they've, talk, they, they've spoken with one another. I love this because, I mean, Malachi has been describing our world in 2021. 
a, a world in where like it is becoming more and more unpopular to be to be a believer. Um, and, and, and yet we can feel alone at times. And yet just, that's why we read that Old Testament passage that just like Elijah found when he felt alone, like the Lord will always have his remnant, like God's people will always be here. And, and so how do we hold fast? in a world that will have us. How do you hold fast? How how do we do that? Um, Well, Hebrews tells us the same thing that Malachi does, right? It's that that passage in Hebrews that that says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, like do this all the more as the day uh, is drawing near. And so they met with each other in Malachi's day, just as we do today. We, we meet to encourage each other, to, to remember the gospel. Like we, we meet and tell each other look, that the guilt that you feel, the shame, like that doesn't own you. That you are not damaged goods. That, that Jesus died to free us. And he said it's done, like we are his. That though the world may hate us, That just means we're in good company because it hated Jesus first. In fact, maybe the world needs to hate you more. Um, That the Jesus way is the good way. That the American dream isn't isn't the dream that we thought it would be. And that's what we remind each other of. We we get together every week and we remind, look, Jesus is the hero that you need. (laughs) He is the one you need. And by his grace and by the encouragement of brothers and sisters, we carry on. We stand, we stand strong. We're this you know, subculture of, of dissidents in the middle of this main culture that's against God. But y'all, then God says something extraordinary, and if you haven't been listening, maybe this is a good time just to check back in. Um, all this time, they've been talking, but, you, but God's like, look, I, I got something to say too. He says, you may think that your small acts of faithfulness go unnoticed, um, but God says, I see you. Like, I see you. You know, when we respond to Jesus' love by loving someone else, God sees. Uh, when, when, when we do something because of Jesus' love or don't do something because of Jesus' love for us, he sees. You know, when we avert gossip, uh, when we resist temptation, he sees. When we come to worship and we worship God not because of what he gives us, but just because like, he's God. Like, let's just worship him. He not only sees, but we see here that he records it in a, a book. You know, in Isaiah 49, it's that, that famous passage where it says that God uh, has engraved you, uh, not, not just your name, but like you, all of you, on his, the palm of his hands. And, and yeah, it's, it's metaphor, but, but what does it mean that God has essentially tattooed you on his hands? And I don't know about y'all, but like, you know, does anybody still write things on your hands? Or is that like a thing of the past, right, before we had phones? Um, you know, I write things on my hands so I don't forget them, and I still manage to forget them sometimes. Um, well, that's the point. God is saying, look, I have you in my hands. Like, I cannot forget you. And what that means is, is even in little Greenwood, Mississippi, like even at your, your job, uh, even when you're out on that, that back turn row uh, on your farm and you feel like there ain't nobody near, God sees you, God remembers you. Even when you're at school, Kids, even when you're at practice, like you are always before God. 
Uh, parents, when you're at home and you're folding, folding like the, the 20th load of laundry for the week, and you're like, I'm sick of this. It's so mundane. Like, you're not forgotten. You're not small. God, you are always before him. And then God says something even better. He says, look, the, the world may not call you that much, but for those who fear me, you are my treasured possession. And, you know, we, we see that in the Bible, right? Treasure possession, special possession. But what does that, what does that mean? Well, in, back in the ancient world, uh, we, we find that in Chronicles, we're told that David, King David had 3,000 talents of gold and he had 7,000 talents of silver. But then he had another box. And this was kind of his personal stash. This was what he's called his special treasure that he held back. He had his own safety deposit box. Um, it's like I, I've been reading um, Pappy Land, a story about uh, well, the Pappy Van Winkle bourbon. Um, Julian Van Winkle, the heir of the famed Pappy Van Winkle bourbon. You know, Julian, obviously, is a successful businessman. They've done, they've done very well in the industry. And, and, and this is a man who has, like, he has all, all sorts of treasures, all sorts of things. But his special treasure, his, his prized treasure, what he holds dearest and guards the closest is his personal collection of Pappy and other high-end bourbons. And he says he doesn't tell everybody where that is. Only a select few people know where that collection is. In the same way, we see, you know, we look outside, like God owns everything. Like, I mean, the universe is literally his possession. And yet, out of all of his possessions, he looks on his people. Like, he looks on those who are in Christ as his special, his, his prized possession. Like, he values you most highly, and he keeps you next to his heart. That's who you are if you fear him. That's who you are. So there are two types of people, um, those who fear God and those who don't. Uh, but as we close, God finishes by telling us there, we also have two different futures. You know, it's amazing how one event uh, can, can produce two totally different results, right? That, um, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. They just think it's ridiculous. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Like to some, the gospel is the most backward, most oppressive, most of offensive thing they can, you could think of. Like, who are you to tell me that I have a need? Like, who are you to tell me that I need saving? I didn't know I needed saving. But to others, that same message is music to our ears. When the same way Malachi says a day is coming, the Bible calls it the day of the Lord. And the day on which those who don't fear the Lord will be judged and those who do fear the Lord will be vindicated finally. And on this topic, C.S. Lewis said, he said, there are only two kinds of people in the end. It's those who say to God, God, your will be done. And then those to whom God says in the end, your will be done. <laughs> and so God uses the imagery of, of the Son to convey what, he, what he's trying to say here, convey what will happen. And if you think about the sun, I mean, look, the sun is obviously a good thing, right? Uh, I mean, we, the sun is one of those necessary ingredients to, for life. Um, but any of you who have been to the dermatologist uh, also know that the sun can kill you, right? The sun may not be your friend. Like, like It's a blessing and a curse. It just depends on your context. Um, well, that's what he's saying here. If Jesus is our only hope of righteousness... 
That this is that the double imputation, that on the cross, Jesus took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. That if Jesus is our only hope of righteousness, then those who don't believe in Jesus don't have righteousness. So when God comes like a refiner's fire and he burns off all the dross, there's nothing less because without Jesus, all we are is dross. And so we're just burnt, burnt up is what it says here in Malachi. But then in verse 2, we hear some of the most beautiful words in the Bible. It's, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise, not with scorching heat, but with healing in its wings. Instead of being burned up, those who believe are going to be, I guess, blessed, blessed up. Um, this is the restoration of all things. Uh, this is the end of cancer. This is the making all sad things come untrue. This is paradise. And God says, look, on that day, we're not going to respond like a Presbyterian um, on that day. No, God says, we're going to go out leaping like calves from a stall. Um, we're, we're, we're going to be We're going to be dancing. You know, we're, we're going to do the floss, the, what, what do the kids do? The, the orange justice, right? The Carlton. We're going to be waltzing into the kingdom. You know, in the ancient world, I suppose sometimes this still happens today, but in the ancient world, Israelites would lock their baby calves up in a stall for winter, protect them. But when springtime came and they were finally let out, out of that little stall, uh, apparently they lost their minds. I mean, they were literally leaping for joy, bounding, going out into the pasture. It's kind of like our kids. Today they were pretty calm, though, right? Our kids, when they go to little worship, right? They've been cooped up in here for, what, 25 whole minutes? And, uh, and when we release them to little worship, usually, I mean, they are just like running and tearing and bounding down that hall. And, and I know that there are probably some who are like, you shouldn't be running in church. Um, but can we let that be a picture of our future? As these kids tear out of here going to little worship, that is, that is a picture of your future. As you tear into the new, new heavens and the new earth, bounding, leaping, dancing, that is your picture. Because in the same way, and we know it, some of us know it more than others, that we've been cooped up in this sin-filled, pain-filled world for a long time. And in the, in the words of Counting Crows, it's been a long December, hasn't it? Um, it's been a long winter, so to speak. Um, but you know what? Springtime is coming. Like Jesus coming the first time was essentially the groundhog. I, I never, y'all understand the groundhog thing? It's like he sees his shadow and it's more winter, and then he doesn't see his shadow, it's less. I, I don't understand that. But um, anyway, Jesus is the groundhog. He says springtime is coming, summer is coming. And so how do we, how do we have that hope? Like how can this future of lust like dancing like, like calves let out of a stall, how can that be your future? Well, something really interesting happens here in the Bible. You know, we just read that the sun of righteousness would rise with healing in its wings. We know that, look, the sun doesn't have wings. When the Hebrew world, um, wings uh, also meant garments. And so in the ancient world, people thought that the garments, that the robes of righteous people had some healing properties to them, some healing power. And and Malachi is saying that one day there was, going to become, there was going to be one to come that would heal all things, that would restore God's people. Okay, well, well, fast forward, Malachi, then there's Matthew in the Bible, right? Fast forward to Matthew, 
And in Matthew, we read about this woman who had been sick for 12 years, chronically ill. She'd seen all these doctors. Nobody could help her. And she was desperate. But she believed that if she could get close enough to Jesus to touch the fringe of it, if she could just get close enough just to touch his robe, she'd be made well. But as we read, Jesus saw her, and Jesus said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. You know, like we read that, and we think, that just sounds kind of, that's not faith, that's just kind of superstition. It's like one of those guys on, you know, the Inspiration TBN, and like you send him money, they'll send you the prayer cloth, and that's like good, right? Um, but here we find that it's, it's not superstition. Because Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and he wanted them and he wanted us to make this connection, that this woman isn't being superstitious, but her desire to touch Jesus' robe, her, quote, wing in, in Hebrew, was her confession that she believed Jesus was and is the son of righteousness with healing in its wings from Malachi 4. That, that Jesus is the healer of all healers. And just like that woman you know, Jesus is the only shot any of us have in, in being made whole. Um, and so like that woman, may this be the takeaway from Malachi. Like that woman, may, may you, may we, like, may we, we reach out. Reach out to take hold of, of Jesus, the true son of righteousness. Because he's where the joy's at. And that's what it's about, right? The joy of the gospel so overtaking us that we respond in worship and respond by living out our lives before his face. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Father, what a joy it is to, to go through Malachi. Um, and there's been hard words, hard words about tithing, about our worship, about church leaders, about the fact that we just have a hard time believing that you love us. And yet time and time and time and time and time again you have met us and said, no, Jesus is better. <laughs> nope, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. I said, Lord, may we fly to Jesus, just run to him, and may he heal us and restore us to the joy of our salvation. Give us hope in Christ. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.